With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We should be so hungry to practice today. When they look at that video, or if they haven't yet, they should just be sick. And they should want to get out there and work to be better than that. Whatever, I don't care if we're playing the Green Bay Packers or whatever, it doesn't, it should be about us knowing we can be better. Showed fight, you know, perseverance. We came back out, um, we didn't give up, uh, we didn't look at the scoreboard, we just went to work. And uh, I think we're going to have that all year. Um, no matter what the situation is, you're going to get our best shot, period. And um, that's just something we're going to build on for the rest of the season. Just seeing all the opportunities missed. I totally understand what he says about being sick, you know. You know, we had some games kind of, kind of similar last year where we got got uh, beat pretty bad and I think when you watch the film you just realize that you can definitely um, just improve so much more and prepare so much harder that week and you know I, I think it's definitely it's going to be motivation for us um, going forward you know. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show as Nebraska must bounce back here this week uh, against Northern Illinois. A disappointing loss at Oregon where they had a lot of opportunities in the second half to uh, get back in that game. I mean Oregon had a 42-14 lead at halftime but uh, Nebraska was able to, um, you know, get back in that game, get it back down to a 14-point lead with nine minutes left in the third quarter. Had the ball with a chance to tie um, in the final two minutes of the game. Uh, throw, throw. Uh, Tanner Lee throws an interception on the first possession or first play of that possession, and uh, that was the ball game at that point. And and you guys, you heard Mike Riley. I mean, he was about as angry this week as we've seen him going into a Monday press conference, uh, just because. He, the heat's turned up, and, and he knows how much they left out there. I mean, they had so many opportunities, Robin, to to, to win against Oregon, even though how as bad as they played. And, and they still could have won that game, and I think it just made him absolutely sick. And, and it was Oregon, I mean, a team that he really wanted to beat. Well, and then you add in the fact that a lot of the issues they had were by their own doing. I mean, you just look at – I mean, it's not just defense, but on offense as well. I mean, just sloppy mistakes – um, you know, whether it be four interceptions, drop passes, uh, a false start on a fourth and one, um, fielding a punt at the five-yard line, not returning an op- a wide-open punt that could have been an explosive play. I mean, just little types of mental errors that, as a coach, drive you absolutely crazy. And like you said, um, the frustration was evident, more so than it's probably ever been with Mike Riley, because he's a guy that usually likes to focus on the positive and, you know, keeps things, um, you know, glass half full. But uh, this was a different tone, uh, and clearly there's a mess that you know he's trying to send not only to the rest of his team but to his coaching staff as well because um, this offseason he made a big decision to fire his good friend and longtime D coordinator Mark Banker and spent Nebraska spent a bunch of money to bring in you know this new Bob Diaco who is going to revolutionize the defense and here we are 78 points and over a thousand yards of total offense later uh, we haven't seen many results well I, I think that's the big misconception with Mike Riley is that he's just this happy happy-go-lucky nice guy all the time but 
I mean, he's a competitor, and and he hates to lose, especially to a program like Oregon, where they're a good a good team, but not a great team. And Nebraska basically gave him that game. When you look at all the missed opportunities and the turnovers and whatnot, and um, and I think everyone is on kind of on notice right now going forward, um, both players and, and coaching staff. I mean, he said everybody has to get better, not just you know, not just the coaches, not just the team. He said everybody needs to get better, and, and I, I think that was a little bit of a wake up call for for the whole the whole North Stadium. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, as uh, we discuss Nebraska. Now moving forward, it's an 11 a.m. game Saturday against Northern Illinois. And, um, you know, we know how these games are. These early games can be hard to get up for. So there will be some challenges. But, guys, the one thing I think I took away again is we've been through transition a lot. Uh, Nebraska football, we've covered it a lot here the last several years. Uh, I think they're on their seventh defensive coordinator since Charlie McBride left Nebraska uh, third different head coach since Frank Solge was fired. And I guess the one common theme I can take away from covering every one of these transitions is it's never easy. I mean, there's going to be growing pains, and I think we always have a really optimistic view of it going in, uh, but usually you realize at some point, you know what, it's it's obviously not going to be easy. And I think that's kind of what we're facing right now is um, there's some optimism about that second half, how they played, but yet we know the road is not going to be easy. Yeah, and I guess, you know, it's easy to forget, you know, the entire storyline of the offseason was the amount of transition that was going on on both sides of the ball. Uh, I mean, this was um, as big of a question mark filled offseason that I can remember just in terms of having a complete change in dynamic at quarterback and then obviously a full flip of defensive scheme from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And anyone that, you know, I guess thought that that was just going to be a seamless situation, I think was probably... um, underestimating how difficult this this process was going to be and so we're seeing that especially on defense I think the offense has actually been pretty good um, you know when Tanner Lee has protection um, and has a good running game to work off of he's been excellent um, but obviously the defense is still very much so a work in progress um, and it certainly hasn't helped the caliber of offenses that they've played I mean Arkansas State and Oregon are about as difficult of a offense to game plan around just because um, of that spread run pass options uh, scheme that they run um, it just doesn't it's a bad it's a bad matchup for Nebraska right now because maybe their biggest weakness uh, is their secondary particularly those young cornerbacks and they have been tested far more than anyone could have ever imagined and so I think that a lot of the issues they're having just come down to you know the opponents exploiting their biggest weak points yeah I mean to have some new faces uh, in a new system to face two offenses that have you know, passed over a hundred or attempted over a hundred passes in two games. Yeah. Uh, that's that's less than ideal. Um, and then, and then when you look at the big picture in terms of the overall, uh, you know, transition and, and scheme and on both sides of the football, really, and and uh, and everything, that's that's a that's a, a big bite to chew uh, for for this defense. And you, what you hope though is that that second half was maybe the turning point, and maybe you know, um, maybe they needed to. Take Take a couple steps back to take a step forward. We, we'll see, but um, definitely that was kind of the perfect storm to start the season off. Guys, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this topic, but um, as we move on here, uh, Black Friday football was a huge debate here around the state in 2020 and 2021. Nebraska will no longer play Iowa in Week 13 to end the regular season. The Big Ten determined that it was not a protected rivalry game, and they're going to open that weekend back up. In turn, Wisconsin and Iowa now will play that weekend 
but they're saying in 22 and 23, it could be Nebraska-Wisconsin in Week 13, kind of a rotating deal for that final weekend of the year. Uh, but nonetheless, Nebraska has come out and said they no longer want to play on Black Friday. This has kind of been Nebraska's deal. Um, you can go back all the way to the 70s, uh, but it's been every year since 1990, Nebraska has played on Black Friday. So it will be 30 straight years uh, when this thing comes to an end in 2019. Um, and Nebraska is willing to just walk away from their largest national television window they get every year um, just to have an extra day's preparation. And it's been highly debated, Robin. Yeah, it's certainly disappointing from a tradition standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, uh, to give up um, that marquee national window um, that has been a, a staple of Nebraska's schedules for years. And um, But if you go back to Big Ten media days even, Mike Riley basically came straight out and said he hates playing early week games. And so it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that if they had the opportunity to get out of one of those, um, they were going to do so. Robin, uh, and I want to keep this on football today, but we do want to hit on basketball here as well. Um, there's been some big basketball news this week, and you cover that program as much as anyone. Uh, Copeland gets his uh, eligibility immediately. There was a lot of talk that that was not going to happen. What does this mean for uh, Tim Miles? Well, it's a huge deal just from a personnel standpoint. I mean, this is a five-star prospect. He was the 23rd overall player in the 2014 class. He'll be an instant starter from day one. And maybe the biggest thing is that this happened before the start of official practices. So they will go into the full season knowing that one of their best players is going to be at their disposal all year. And it impacts everybody around him. Everybody's job just got easier. And then maybe most importantly, Nebraska finally got some good luck um, from the days for the Robert Sally saga and uh, everything in between. Uh, Nebraska finally got a break when it comes to dealing with the NCAA. All right, well, we've covered a lot of ground here in this opening segment. We're going to cover a lot of ground here in the rest of our show. We'll talk offensive and defensive storylines to watch this week. We'll take your questions in the mailbag, and then Nate Klaus will give us the latest in recruiting. That's all next here on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're going to get Jalen Bradley going. Jalen Bradley uh, will move on to special teams and play this week. Jalen Bradley will train as the as the one of the running backs for this week. If I'm not mistaken, Coach Riley said from the beginning Jalen wouldn't be would not be redshirted. He's been available. That's really that's really nothing new. That's something we decided a while back. And Reggie Davis, what about Divino Zigbo? <laughs> That's been the question all week as uh, uh, media members have asked Reggie Davis and Mike Riley about that running back situation. Hello, welcome again back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. You heard Mike Riley, Jalen Bradley coming out of the red shirt this week. Uh, for sure on special teams. And we won't know what his role is going to be exactly on special teams. I asked Scott Booker that and... Uh, we didn't get the um, the exact uh, roles he's going to play this week, uh, but I get the impression we may see him at running back. And I think the debate is Trey Bryant. You know, if it was as simple as him getting 25 carries a week, uh, that would be the answer. But his knee has raised a lot of questions. He left the game with what looked to be a serious injury. The X-rays came back negative. Um, he is apparently good to go or could play here this week. In the meantime, Mikael Wilbon's been the number two. Uh, Divino Zigbo has been shipped off to Chile for all we know. I mean, we haven't seen the guy uh, for he's had I, I'm pounding this stat to death. He's had 21 carries over his last 10 games. And now Jalen Bradley's coming out of the red shirt. Robin, what do you make of this situation? 
Well, I mean, it's going to be interesting if Trey Bryant isn't uh, able to play. Do they stick with the same formula at running back? If so, then it's going to be Mikhail Wilbon all day, and they're not going to rotate. Maybe Devino Zigbo or whoever, Jalen Bradley, uh, gets a couple carries here and there, but they seem to be pretty stuck in this um, idea of going to a workhorse running back um, mentality. And I have no problem with that. I don't either. It's worked really well. I mean, Trey Bryant's one of the leading rushers in the Big Ten right now. So um, clearly that that's the right move. But as you mentioned, the issue is, will that knee allow him to continue that over the course of a full season? And right now, um, you have every reason to doubt it. I mean, he's hardly been able to practice. He's been having to leave games. Uh, and so this is obviously a situation that isn't getting any better and has probably gotten significantly worse uh, over the first two games. And so, um, you know, that obviously the ideal situation is to keep giving Bryant the ball and let him do his thing. But they're going to have to use those other backs at some point. And if it's this week, uh, you know, is Mikhail Wilbon ready to take on a role like that? Is Devino Zigbo actually going to be a factor? Is Jalen Bradley going to be a factor? I mean, so um, do, do they change? They go back to that three-headed attack, you know, that we saw over the first two years, you know, if it comes down to those three guys. I mean, there's just a lot that we don't know, and it's really going to depend on that knee of uh, Trey Bryant. Yeah, Trey Bryant's kind of become the the workhorse that everyone was clamoring for. And then as soon as that happened, then everyone wants to talk about the third string guy and why he's not getting any carries. That's <laughs> I, mean, I don't to get me, that. That's, like what the heck is wrong? I don't understand that either, Nate. I, I just don't, I just don't get it. So, um, I mean, clearly uh, the, if anything, it's because um, of the, they came out of fall camp with three co number ones, but at the same time, but did they? <laughs> yeah, but did they? But did they really? Uh, clearly not. So I, I think that uh, um, they're they've gone a different direction with how they want to handle things. Obviously, giving Trey Bryant the the vast majority of the workload, and if he's not able to go, I don't foresee them going back to a, a committee approach. I, I think they would heap the workload on on Mikel Wilbon and see if he can carry it and if he can't then then on to the next but um I just find all this talk about Divino Zigbo really fascinating because all everyone wanted to talk about was who's going to be the guy to step up and, and take things over and clearly Trey was able to do that but yeah as soon as that happened we wanted to talk about the guy who hadn't seen the field yet yeah and this Ozigbo thing has been a story since last year I mean he hasn't played really since the beginning of last year when he hurt his ankle uh, he got to play in the bowl game a little bit, only because everybody else was hurt. Uh, they were newbie got hurt, Trey Bryant was hurt, so he got carries in the bowl game. Uh, but yeah, he's just not been a factor. That will be something to watch here. You're listening to the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Let's move over to quarterback. It was not a good day for Tanner Lee. Four interceptions uh, when he was under duress at Oregon. Um, he just did not look comfortable at times. I think uh, the, the moment of the game, the pressure of the score. He almost felt like he had to go for that home run every throw versus kind of staying within the offense. And I think that aggressive decision-making, Robin, hurt him a lot on Saturday. Yeah, keep in mind that was probably far and away the most hostile environment he's ever played in as a college football player. And so um, to step into that and then have your very first pass be picked off, I mean, you can imagine he might have been a little bit rattled there. And then for Nebraska to fall into such an early deficit, uh, I mean, it, it kind of was a recipe for disaster in terms of, you know, panic setting in. And I think that's what happened because they couldn't rely on the running game uh, the way they did in the first game. And uh, that really put a lot of, um, like, some pressure on Tanner Lee. And I think a lot of that was self-inflicted. I think he felt that he needed to go out there and win the game for his team rather than just playing within the offense. And it cost him. But uh, one thing to be said is uh, talking with other, everybody else on the offense, it was not just Tanner Lee's issue. I mean, the offensive line, 
uh, took full responsibility for that game. He was sacked three times and hit several others. And Gerald Foster said that um, if you know anything about football, you go back and watch the tape, you'll know that this wasn't just Tanner Lee's loss. I mean, this was an entire offensive loss, and the offensive line and the running backs and the tight ends all need to do a better job of keeping him upright and keep taking the pressure off him in the pocket. Yeah, that's that's the goal is to keep Tanner Lee clean. And, and I think that as soon as Nebraska became one-dimensional, it not only put – pressure on Tanner Lee but it put pressure on the offensive line because Oregon was bringing more pressure it put and then it was just kind of a you know a, a chain effect there and, and I think that um, there were also some fluky things like the the tip pass that, that ended up getting um, you know picked off and you know just some some random things uh, that just didn't go Nebraska's way I think Oregon getting down 42 14 well yeah uh, <laughs> but there were I mean Oregon got a couple breaks there too that that maybe you you don't typically see but um yeah I do t- I do think Tanner Lee kind of maybe put a little bit more pressure on himself tried to maybe force a few things but uh, I think he'll be fine. I, I still think that that Mike Riley and Danny Lingsdorf has have a lot of confidence in him. Clearly, from talking with the offensive players, they all still believe in, in Tanner Lee and, and think that he's the man. So uh, I don't know that this is going to be something that, that has Tanner Lee kind of feeling a hangover effect. As we stick on the offense, so let's stay on that line. And Matt Farniak made his first career start at right tackle. Uh, in place of David Neville, who I've been told is going to be out multiple weeks. So, I mean, I think we're going to see Matt Farniak at least for the next few weeks at right tackle. He graded out number three of Nebraska's five offensive linemen, an outstanding debut uh, for the redshirt freshman. Uh, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, to me, he's as highly touted of a recruit on the offensive line as Nebraska's gotten. I know he wasn't a four-star by rivals, uh, but I feel like he was a four-star caliber player. He was a U.S. Army All-American. Um, and and he, he's come in and, and lived up to those expectations. It'll be interesting, Robin. What will they do when David Neville comes back? Well, right now it's going to be hard to take Matt Farniak off the field. And, you know, obviously Nebraska's offense you know, as a whole had their issues, and, you know, he played a part in that. But uh, no penalties, um, no blatant protection issues. Uh, and for a redshirt freshman going in in his first start in Outson Stadium, uh, that was a pretty darn good uh, debut for old Matt Farniak. Yeah, this is, you know, and he talked about that. And clearly making your first career start on the road in, in Autzen Stadium is, is uh, you know, a little less than ideal. He was – he admitted that he was very, very nervous for that game. But at the same time, his teammates kind of calmed him down and said, hey, look, this is what you do. You play football. You, you've been training for this moment. You were recruited to be out here and be a starter. And I think that uh, he definitely showed up in a big way. And, um, you know, he's probably – this is probably his coming out party. I don't really know if we'll see him be supplanted uh, once Neville is healthy. That will no doubt be a interesting decision for Mike Cavanaugh with a fifth-year senior. When we come back, we're going to shift discussion now over to defense it has not been a very easy two weeks for Bob Diaco and his crew can they get it turned around against Northern Illinois we'll discuss that and much more you're listening to the Husker online show this is Husker online your authority on Nebraska athletics yeah there's definitely a couple older guys that kind of were like you know you got to remember who you're playing for got an end on the side of your head there's so much tradition and the black shirts, the guys that played before us, that you gotta have pride when you go out there and you're down 42 to 14 at halftime and there's no way you can lay down and let it be a boat race, you know? It's just not who we are and that's not who Nebraska is. We made it a point that we were gonna come out in the second half and we weren't gonna lay down. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. That was linebacker Luke Gifford delivering the quote of the post game at Oregon. 
as Nebraska lost or 42-35, but they were down 42-14 at half, and the defense shut out Oregon in that second half, and it was really possibly a turning point for this program. We really won't know that, obviously, till down the road and even this Saturday at 11 a.m. when they play Northern Illinois. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I wrote this week that, I mean, Nebraska was about to have their whole house blown away in a storm, and they were able to get in front of it somehow and salvage the damage because if that second half would have continued, Robin, like we saw in the first half, I don't know if you recover from that in just one week. I think that would have had a lot of long-term damage. We were scouring the media guide under the opponent records section during halftime to see when the last time Nebraska gave up X amount of yards, X amount of points, X amount of passing attempts, completions, because Oregon was well on track to shatter every one of those records. And uh, that's good thing is for Nebraska, they threw the ball just eight times in the second half. And I... You know, I'm not going to put it entirely on that, but that certainly played a part in Nebraska being able to chip its way back into it. Um, you know, they were about to put a 1983 Minnesota yes. beating on Nebraska. Oregon when... took its foot off the gas a bit and got a little conservative. And um, quite honestly, that kind of shows you where the strength of this defense is. You know, Oregon tried to just run the ball out and they couldn't. Uh, so, I mean, I guess if anything, that speaks you know highly of Nebraska's front seven uh, and their ability to stop the run. So, uh, you know, I guess that's a silver lining and all that. But um, Whatever, how it happens, you know, what Oregon did. Nebraska still, uh, like Luke Gifford said, they didn't come out and lay down in the second half when they very easily could have. Um, in fact, there's a point in that game um, on the very Oregon's very first drive in the third quarter. Nebraska got a quick three and out stop. And the entire section of, you know, whatever, 10, 15,000 Nebraska fans that were in attendance got on their feet and started cheering. And Luke Gifford's up there pumping up the crowd, a couple other Huskers. And that showed you that they, they were still here to play out. Oregon burned a timeout at that point. Yeah. And so, I mean, I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to, to you know these players because um, there's definitely a crossroads that they face coming out of the locker room at halftime, and they took the right path. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a cliche to say, well, treat the second half like a you know a completely different game, but I feel like that's what it's exactly they did. what it was. Coach uh, Klaus here, yeah. But uh, you know, I I felt personally, I felt that that game had the the chance to be like the 2007 USC game where. You know, it was a, kind of a big non-conference matchup and, you know, that uh, USC came in and just imposed their will and kind of gave Nebraska a demoralizing loss and everything spiraled out of control from there. And and uh, I think it was good to see that Nebraska did salvage things and, and really did kind of uh, put it back together and, and put a you know respectable product on the field and, and actually came pretty close within – um, you know, making it a game or coming away with with a victory. So, uh, I mean, there are a lot of good things you can take away defensively out of that second half. Even though, you know, obviously Oregon kind of went into a shell and was trying to trying to just milk the clock and and kind of get out of there. But um, I think that if anything. It's it boils down to confidence, um, and I think that a lot of defensive players have more confidence coming out of that second half than they did uh, heading into that game. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we get you ready for Saturday's Nebraska-Northern Illinois game. It's on FS1. That'll be Nebraska's first ever game on FS1 for football. Uh, they'll be on that network at least three times this season. Uh, but as, as we move on, guys, and, and discuss defensive stuff, the lack of pass rush has been a topic of discussion uh, is I mean, I think you look at it a lot of different ways. Nebraska's not been blitzing a ton. Uh, they're playing teams that get rid of the ball fast because of their style of offenses. But nonetheless, the stats are the stats. Nebraska is only only has one quarterback sack through these first two games. 
Yeah, and I'm more on the side of putting it on the opponents they're playing. I mean, it's hard to get uh, any sort of pressure when teams are throwing the ball, you know, one and a half, two seconds after the snap. And so, I mean, it's uh, those types of run pass options. You really gamble when you throw blitzes because there's so many different ways that a quarterback can pick you apart, um, you know, based off where that pressure is coming from. And so they've opted to play it safe and Yes, the argument can be made that the, the playing it safe hasn't exactly worked all that well. Uh, but the reality is that's kind of why you're not seeing much pressure. And the other factor is Bob Diaco's defenses don't really blitz a lot. Uh, I mean, he's I mean, the, the hallmark of his defenses are keep everything in front of you and don't get beat on big plays and tighten up in the red zone. And that's exactly what we've seen. And so I think when you get more traditional offenses coming up here uh, later on in the schedule, you'll see more um, creative pressures. Um, but for now, you know, even, you know, against Northern Illinois, who runs a very similar offense to what they've seen the first two weeks, I just don't think that there's going to be many opportunities for Nebraska to dial it up, and nor do I think they want to. Yeah, with the, with the first two opponents, with what they do, I don't know that Nebraska, it would have been smart for Nebraska to come out and just be this attacking defense and sending all sorts of blitzes um, and trying to trying to get sacks and, and tackles for loss and whatever, uh, I think they would have got picked apart. And it would have been way more explosive plays than what we've seen so far. So I do think that'll change. I, I think that they did get a little bit more aggressive in the second half against Oregon, and um, and certainly as the opponents change, the uh, the numbers I think will reflect that. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Another injury in that uh, defense to discuss is Joshua Kalu. Nebraska's captain on the back end uh, has a hamstring injury. I spoke with Joshua briefly, uh, just ran into him um, leaving the stadium the other night. And, you know, it's one of those deals with hamstrings. He said, I talked to Nate Gary. I've talked to Brandon Riley and guys that have had these injuries. You can't come back on it. So I think it's a given that Kalu is going to be out multiple weeks. We may not see Kalu until... <laughs> Uh, Rutgers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Illinois or Wisconsin. I mean, I think um, you cannot come back on that hamstring too fast because it's just going to set it back. So in the meantime, Antonio Reed steps up. I don't even know who the next guy would be at safety. You, you've got Antonio Reed and Aaron Williams. Would Dismuke be the next guy? Would yeah. Kyron Williams be the next guy? I, you know, that I didn't, I was not able to get to that question uh, with with the staff on uh, the, this week, but. Uh, the safety position without Kalu all of a sudden becomes very, very interesting. Well, and Dismuke played against Oregon in the second half, so I mean, I would think that he would be the next guy up. So, um, I mean, you look, look at what's happened to this secondary from where they were essentially going into fall camp to where they are now. They're without three potential starters: Chris Jones, Joshua Kalu, and JoJo Doman. Uh, I mean, and that's um, the good news is they have depth, but I mean, just think about how much better, uh, especially in the situation they're in, having all three of those guys out there. Uh, that might change some things but here they are you know once again having to rely on some inexperienced players to step it up and you know Antonio Reed uh, he had a big cast on his hand earlier this week and so obviously he's not 100% uh, and then you know whoever steps in whether it's Smuke or Kyron Williams or whoever it may be uh, you're talking about guys that just haven't played a lot of football in this defense and so um, against the Northern Illinois offense that is going to throw it and throw it a lot that could be an issue. Well, it's definitely a point of concern for Mike Riley and his staff because they put green jerseys on Aaron Williams and Antonio Reed this week. And Reed's got a wrap on his hand. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they didn't want those guys having any contact or risking anything with, with Aaron Williams and Reed. 
uh, now that Kalu is out. So, uh, I mean, they are definitely inexperienced, um, but they're gaining experience. I think Dante Williams kind of spoke to that this week is that, you know, just how important it is for those guys just to get game experience under their belt and that he's really seen guys grow now that they've they have some confidence and have, have executed the game plan and have had had good some some good plays under their belt um, during a game. I mean, you can rep everything all you want during practice, but when you actually do it in a game, it, it kind of does give you a boost in your step. Well, this will be a big week for Bob Diaco and his crew to take a step in the right direction. Can they finally put together that four-quarter game? Uh, those will all be things we'll be watching closely. But when we come back, we're going to take your questions here in the mailbag. Matt Reynoldson will join us here in studio as we've got a full bag of questions after last week to get to. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Mornay has done a, a great job for the University of Nebraska before I've been here. <clears throat> there are going to be plays where everybody looks at and, ah, man, we wish we had that back. We wish we had this back. But I have the ultimate confidence in, in Mornay that he's going to make the right decision for us and he's going to make the correct play. Because sometimes the correct play is to call a fair catch or to make a Peter call. So, again, I have the utmost confidence that he's going to make the right play. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and we bring in Husker Online intern Matt Reynoldson. Matt, it's great to have you back here on the show. We missed you out in Oregon, uh, but we'll see plenty of you here over this next stretch of the season. What do you got for us this week in the mailbag? Well, we got a pretty good packed mailbag for you today. So starting off, a question about punt returner. With DeMorne Pearsonell's hesitations last week, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, especially on that last punt return the fair catch and so the first question is it tried is it time to try someone new at punt returner i don't think we're there yet and and that was scott booker by the way talking about demorne personnel and kind of what he brings back there uh but i i think demorne is definitely the guy for the next few weeks and he needs to show something i, I think those two mistakes at oregon were huge though fair catching on the five and then trying to or not returning the last one when he had a clear opportunity for the return instead going the safe route so that is something to watch because uh de mornay is a key part to this thing and we know that there's at least two or three other guys on this team that can return punts uh but i don't think they're going to walk away from de mornay anytime soon i don't think so either and um, you know, after the game, you know, he was as upset as anyone about his decision not to return that last one. So um, clearly he knows that he made some mistakes. And I think that was just an all-around bad game for him because, remember, he was the one that committed the false start uh, on that fourth down that took a first down conversion and made it turn into a punt. So, um, I mean, it, uh, he was just off his game for whatever reason. Um, but this is a guy that has proven it uh, time and again that he is an explosive, game-changing athlete. And you got to give him a little bit longer at least than just, you know, a couple games uh, for him to go out there and get back to that. Yeah, with the talent of his at that position, I mean, you don't just pull a guy out, out of that situation. Um, clearly he made a couple mistakes, but um, there's I don't think there's anybody on this team that who – is can do exactly what DeMornay personnel can do. And, um, you know, I don't think it'll be an issue going forward. We'll stick with the two-sided arguments for the next question in the mailbag. Uh, uh, what happened to the defense at halftime? Do you think it was partly because Oregon played more conservatively in the second half, or was that really a turning point for this defense? I mean, if you're the glass half-empty hot take, I don't like this staff, that's your take. But I, I think when you look at things right now, 
Nebraska came out, scored on their first possession. They got a three and out. They scored on their next possession. They got the game back down to 14 points with nine minutes left in the third. There's just no way Oregon could have gone in a conservative shell that early in the game. It's just not what you do. Um, but, you know, Oregon obviously late was trying to run clock, and Nebraska did step up and answer it. And I'm sorry, stopping Royce Freeman is still not easy. Uh, that guy is as good of a running back as Nebraska will see this entire season. And in that second half, they did a pretty solid job of matching up to his physicality. They forced a fumble. That guy doesn't fumble very often. Um, so, no, I, I think Nebraska, they did what they had to do. They got some breaks. Oregon missed on a fourth down. Nebraska connected on a few fourth downs. Um, they had some things go their way. Uh, but, no, I don't think you can just say, oh, Oregon went into a shell, and that's why Nebraska came back. Well, yes, Oregon only threw the ball eight times in the second half, but come to think of it, they didn't run a whole lot of plays because they were going three and out or turning the ball over. So uh, Nebraska forced the issue a bit. It wasn't just, you know, like Oregon was kneeling the ball three times. I mean, they were trying to uh, put more points on the board, especially as Nebraska started chipping away at that lead. And so um, Nebraska's defense, you know, the, a, a switch flipped at least for that second half. Now, can they continue that? That's the issue. Can they be the team they were in the second half of that game consistently, or are they going to revert back to the porous uh, sponge of a defense we saw in the first half? Uh, to me, it doesn't matter what Oregon ran because you have to defend whatever the other team's running regardless. And and Nebraska did that in the second half. And, um, and I think that you did see them get a little bit more aggressive in certain situations and, and change some things up. There was um, you know, a, a lot of different things, a lot of things that were different in the second half than the first. So I, I think it was uh, possibly a turning point. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. We're taking your questions here in the mailbag with Matt Reynoldson. Going back and looking at that film of the Oregon game, I, I saw most of the protection issues and the blocking issues were from places outside of the offensive line. But Mike Cavanaugh, who we talked to this week, obviously holding his guys to a higher standard. So a pretty recurring question on our board is Cav coaching for his job this season. I, I don't I don't I don't know if that's fair at this point. I think the offensive line has played fine. I mean, you look at what they've done on the ground with Trey Bryant. Um, they're running the ball very physical. It's as good of a running game as we've seen under Mike Riley at least these first two weeks. Uh, they finally have a running back, and you know the amount of times that Tanner Lee was dropping back in five step drops you're just going to naturally have more pressure coming, especially when everybody knows you're trying to throw to get back into the game. Yeah, and, you know, the protection issues go well beyond just the offensive line, like you mentioned, Matt. You know, it comes to the backs and the tight ends. And, um, you know, one of the, they gave up three sacks in that game, and one of them came because Mikhail Wilbon completely olayed a block and let Tanner Lee just get feasted on by an Oregon defender. So uh, it was, goes far beyond just the offensive line. And like Sean said, uh, I think that group has been one of the least of Nebraska's concerns so far. They're ability to run the football the past two weeks has been really good and that's a very good sign especially once they get into conference play because what has been the big issue from run the ball guy every single year is they don't run the ball between the tackles consistently well they've done that and you know I guess we'll see what happens with Trey Bryant but um, you know I think that there are far other more red flags that are of greater concern than the play of the offensive line thus far yeah I think you could argue that they're probably one of the units that has improved the most from from last year no to question. this year so you know the narrative that that Mike Kavanaugh is, is coaching for his job or is on the hot seat I think to me is kind of ridiculous because uh, they have been improved and and last year when you factor in all the injuries and and the lack of depth that that, that they he had to work with I mean it was that was something that I had never really seen before so um, I, I think they're they're continuing to improve and I don't see him being on the hot seat whatsoever 
when you look at the defensive line positions in Bob Diaco's 3-4 defense, the question is, are they, not, are, just, are they just not flashy positions right now, or is Nebraska really not getting a lot of production from the guys up front? Well, when you're playing a three-man front against five blockers, five is going to beat three more often than not, and that's kind of what Nebraska's faced. And they're, not, they're not blitzing a ton, and when you're basically double-teamed every guy up front um, coming at the quarterback, and these quarterbacks are running spread offenses that get rid of the ball in less than two seconds, I think all of those things have really hurt the overall production level of the defensive line. Well, and in the second half when Oregon actually started to run the ball, uh, Nebraska's defense looked really good. So I think the front seven did just fine in terms of their um, run containment responsibilities. And I don't put a lot of stock in the pro football focus, um, but a lot of people do. And Mick Stoltenberg graded out as the first team All-Big Ten player of the week um, on on that defense. So, I mean, he's having a very good season so far, at least in certain people's opinions. So, I mean, I think that while it may not look like it, there are some players in that front seven that are playing some really good football right now. Well, and they're doing their job. They're doing what they're asked to do. And that's, you know, in this defense, especially with a guy like Mick, is is eating up blockers and, and letting other people, you know, kind of kind of clean up the the trash, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I think I think in that respect, you know, it, it isn't it isn't really a, a flashy position that's going to put up a ton of numbers and and make people really, you know, have a bunch of highlight reel type of plays. Well, we're heading into the recruiting segment coming up next, but there's been a lot of hot talk uh, among recruits about something outside of the Nebraska program. So it's been a hot topic around college football. So I want to get you guys thoughts on this. Who should be the Ohio State starting quarterback right now? <laughs> well, Joe Burrow is not available, so it's, it's hard to say. But I mean, I, I, JT Barrett has won a lot of games. He's kind of the leader of that team. And to me, it's almost like a Tommy Armstrong type situation. I mean, they... They really can't walk away from this guy. I mean, this guy has has done so much for them, and um, I don't know. I, I have a hard time thinking Urban Meyer is going to pull JT Barrett as a starter. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, he's he's a guy that's done a lot of things for this football team. He'll probably end his career as you know one of the most productive quarterbacks in Ohio State history, um, statistically, and that says a lot with that program. And so, um, you know, I think it's it's every year, every place, even if you're uh, a program like Ohio State, people are always going to want the next quarterback to start. And so that's the situation they found themselves in. And certainly last week against Oklahoma didn't help his cause, but it's, you know, it's one of those deals where he needs other guys to step up. Their wide receivers are not really good right now. And so they, they've been starting a true freshman running back because Mike Weber's been hurt. And so, you know, it's, there's a lot of other factors involved. And I'm a JT Barrett fan, and I think they should stick with him. Yeah, JT's kind of had some ups and downs, but, I mean, the bottom line, in my opinion, is that he and Urban Meyer are kind of attached at the hip. So I don't foresee him making any type of change. And plus, Dwayne Haskins, as talented as he was coming out of high school, he is yet to prove himself or accomplish anything at the collegiate level. Joe Burrow has a broken hand right now. Yeah, exactly. So he's not even in the conversation. Well, that wraps it up here for the mailbag. When we come back, we're going to take your, uh, we're going to shift our focus over to recruiting as Nate Klaus will give us the latest on visitors coming in this weekend. We'll talk five-star Micah Parsons and much more. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Foundation. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. We talk some recruiting as Nebraska will actually have um, a few official visitors in town. It's 11 a.m. game, but they still will have some guys make it into town. So you got to do your best, Husker Nation, to, to make that atmosphere uh, a quality one for an 11 a.m. game here on Saturday. But before we get down to the visitor breakdown, Nate, 
a uh, couple of major storylines involving Nebraska recruiting and, and they're kind of their two most high profile commits slash targets. First, let's start with Buki Radley Hiles. He visited Clemson over the weekend for their win over Auburn. Uh, obviously, a lot of smoke out there about that trip and, and kind of what it meant. Uh, from what you know, what can you tell us about uh, Buki's trip out to Clemson? Well, the trip went very well. He went with a couple teammates. Um, you know, Xavier Thomas is uh, uh, one of the top players in the country and is committed to, to Clemson, is recruiting Buki to join him uh, very, very hard. Um, and Clemson just recently offered, and they've kind of, you know, we're late to the party, but have really kind of turned up the heat there. And so uh, Buki's listening, and he, he enjoyed the trip. Uh, you know, and I think anytime you go to, to Death Valley, you know, it's it's probably a great atmosphere. Um, obviously, Clemson is one of the best teams in college football right now. They're very fun to watch, especially on the defensive side of the football. And Dabo Sweeney just got a big extension and, and is one of the best coaches in the country. So uh, there's definitely a little bit of fire there, but at the same time, uh, Buki's said that he's going to be taking his visits, kind of enjoying the rest of the recruiting process. Um, and I still feel like it's is a little premature to, to hit the panic button. Obviously, this is less than ideal when you're talking about one of your top commits taking visits and, and liking or enjoying other places. But um, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button quite yet. And I think there's still a lot of connections, an awful lot of connections between Buki and Nebraska that eventually – uh, you know, or what keeps him here. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as as we uh, discuss recruiting storylines. Nate and uh, another one over the weekend, Micah Parsons um, visited Ohio State, uh, but a lot of smoke came out of that visit where several people now feel like Nebraska is that the team to beat for Micah Parsons. Well, and this has kind of been the trend ever since June when he visited Nebraska for Friday Night Lights. It seems like Nebraska has been the team that has continually gained more and more traction with Micah Parsons, and Ohio State and Penn State have been the teams that seem to be losing a little bit of traction there. Um, he did have a very good trip in, to Columbus, uh, enjoyed himself immensely. He and his family were there. Uh, they've been there several times. So there's definitely a comfort level that exists there, um, and he knows all all the other recruits there and everything. So, uh, but what I've been hearing is that maybe Ohio State has a guy or two that they would prefer to take at that position over uh, Micah Parsons, and they just got a junior college defensive tackle commit. So I'm sure that that has to impact their defensive line numbers a little bit. Um, and so, you know, a lot of guys that I've talked with that cover Ohio State recruiting say that that they would be surprised if Micah Parsons ends up a part of that class. And so when you take Ohio State out of the equation, I think that that kind of leaves Nebraska as the leader or at least the co-leader with Penn State to gain his commitment. He's taking an unofficial visit to Happy Valley this weekend. Uh, and he will be visiting Lincoln for the Wisconsin game for his official visit. Uh, and beyond that, he does not have any other trips lined up. He's an early enrollee, so I think he's wanting to get this decision out of the way sooner than later, maybe towards the end of November or so. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But definitely, I like Nebraska's chances right now. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk recruiting. 
Uh, let's talk about this recruiting weekend coming up, Nate. It's an 11 a.m. game, but it's actually on paper. I mean, at least now it appears like it could be a, a decent 11 a.m. weekend, all things considered. It's about as good as of a 11 and 8, 11 a.m. you know visit weekend as you can draw up. Um, it's pretty rare, especially when you have kind of a a non marquee ma- matchup with Northern Illinois for an 11 a.m. game to have four guys in, uh, including you know two top targets from California. Um, uh, that you got to visit on their bye week, which every team that's recruiting these guys, you know, they want them to come in on their bye week so they can maximize the 48 hours that they have with them on campus. And so, um, you know, when you when you look at all that, it's it's pretty impressive. You just hope that the game isn't a snooze fest because I know as far as the atmosphere goes, the the Memorial Stadium 11 a.m. games can kind of be uh, a little dry. It's the ticket. It's the game you give your tickets away to the neighbor. You know. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, you know, from Nebraska's point of view, I know when I worked at Nebraska, that those are the games you had to say, you, you know, you had to remind the kids, well, if this were a night game or, or uh, you know, if this were a different team, perhaps, you know, it would be a little bit more amped up than what it is here. But uh, I think you have to start with Brian Addison, who's a top 100 prospect in the country. Number He's rated the 53rd overall player in the nation, number three overall athlete in the country, 6'5", 190 pounds. Uh, Nebraska's recruiting him as a safety. He could also play wide receiver. Um, and this is his first trip, so the Huskers have a chance to kind of set the bar with him. He'll be visiting Arizona State and Michigan as well. Um, but, you know, Brian Addison has been kind of attached to the hip of Dante Williams dating back to uh, when Williams was hired here. He's been interested in Nebraska before he even got the offer. So I, I like I like Nebraska's chances. I think that a good visit here only increases their, their position with, uh, with Brian Addison. And he's coming with his teammate, wide receiver Kobe Smith, who's a three-star but maybe a little undervalued in my opinion. I think that he's a really, really good player, 6'3". 185 pound kid um, and uh, uh, extremely productive there at the same high school, Gardena Serra out of, out of California. So uh, and this is a guy who wanted to come to the spring game, but didn't work out. He wanted to come to Friday Night Lights, but it didn't work out. Now he and his mother will be able to make it to Lincoln and, and kind of see everything. He's got a great relationship with Keith Williams. Uh, and there's two spots left in this wide receiver class. And, and I think a good visit from Kobe William or Kobe Smith could be enough to maybe have him jump on that on that offer. He does have a ton of other offers, including one from USC. So that's always something that, that you have to kind of pay attention to going forward. Um, you've got David Alston, who's the number one player out of Minnesota, 6'5", 215, 220-pound uh, outside linebacker. He plays defensive end for his team, but the Huskers are recruiting him as that, cow, that cat outside linebacker uh, position uh, to be a guy who could rush the pass in certain situations, but also kind of operate in space and, and, and be a guy who's athletic enough to cover and, and whatnot. So um, he visited in the spring, had a great trip. Uh, I think reading between the lines was kind of hoping to land an offer from Stanford over the summer. He's a very, very smart kid, has all the Ivy League offers and, and schools like that, uh, and was hoping to land that Stanford offer. That did not happen. Um, you know, Wisconsin, Utah, uh, along with Nebraska are his top three. Uh, but again, I, I do feel like a good visit this weekend could go ahead and, and have him jumping on that spot uh, sooner than later. And then Chris Curry might be the most interesting prospect uh, on the visit list. You know, he's a three-star running back out of Florida that's committed to LSU and has been a guy 
guy that's really been way off the radar, um, you know, in terms of recruiting coverage and, and in terms of him being a kind of a, a household name for people who follow Nebraska recruiting. But uh, he's planning to visit this weekend. Uh, now, I've not been able to connect with him following Irma, Hurricane Irma. So I don't know if that impacted his travel plans or if, if everything's all right with he and his family. But uh, from what I understand, he is still planning to visit Lincoln this this weekend. And um, the Huskers are, are kind of – you know, with that running back spot, they could take no running backs or they could go ahead and, and snag one. And, and obviously they like what Curry brings to the table. So he could be, you know, he's definitely in the conversation there. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Nate, uh, I know it will be a busy recruiting weekend. Are you going to get out to any high school games at all this weekend? Yeah, yeah. Hoping to hit a couple and maybe, uh, you know, get out and see Bellevue West. Uh, their, their 2020 wide receiver, Xavier Betts, is putting up some freakish numbers so far this year. Uh, you know, I had an opportunity to kind of see him over the summer at a couple camps and was very impressed with him. So um, that, that might be one that uh, I'm able to get out to. And uh, he's definitely going to be a kid that's going to make a lot of noise here over the next few years in, uh, in state-wise. Well, it's going to be a busy weekend on the site with the game and recruiting. So make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com as we'll have complete coverage of Nebraska, Northern Illinois here Saturday at 11 a.m. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.